0: I thought it would have been nice if they had kissed at the end there, don't you? Did you guys get to see that? Did you get to see it over there? That was fun. All right. 50 years um, from my mom and dad, and that's uh, 20 uh, days from now. Actually, June 29th is their anniversary, and uh, uh, so uh, blessed by them, and I know many of you are as well. And I want to take a few moments, just as we kind of get into this last message in our series, uh, it's a family thing, just to kind of talk about, just really briefly, uh, the fact that I really believe, and I'm going to look for a nod from Cheryl in just a second, that we have a pretty good marriage. She's nodding. You want to stand and nod <laughs> just so they see? I think, I think we have a pretty good marriage and God has really significantly blessed us. And there are, like, I think I, we could just isolate really a number of reasons why that is so. But among the reasons that we would have for saying that we have a great marriage today is my mom and dad. And the example that I had growing up in a home where, and this is the topic for uh, message number seven in this series... There was just a home that was saturated and filled with love. It was love always. And I have to tell you that that uh, was really a gift from God that uh, happened before we even came to faith in the Lord. And we have to see that when good things come to anybody, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that's a gift that comes from God. Uh, Unbelievers simply don't acknowledge that it's a gift from God, but believers ought to acknowledge that if you have any good thing in your life, that's from the Lord. Amen. Everybody got the theology straight on that? Everything good in the world comes from the Lord. Some people uh, get it. Some people don't get it. And, and we started out not really getting that as a family. But then when my mom was in her mid-30s, my dad in his mid-40s, uh, they both came to faith in Christ. And then we could kind of see how God had been working in our life. But all of it was from God. And the fact that I grew up in a home where love was a a dominant characteristic dad loved mom and served her and and, uh, mom loves dad and serves him and and back and forth and they had an abundance of love for me and for my brother and we just had that atmosphere in our home and that certainly allowed me to enter into my marriage with kind of a, a little bit of a head start a push down the hill Because every marriage is a challenging one, every family has its difficulties, but if you get this thing locked down, this matter of love, I mean, that's just a big head start to the thing that God really wants for your family. Now, I I understand that by just even sharing what I just shared and the great example that I've had in my life and how that's helped my family, that that's not true for everybody here. I, I understand that. And some of you, it wasn't really a love-filled home. And it was very challenging, and there are a lot of hurts for some people here, and scar tissue related to the background that you had in your home. And I feel bad about that, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. Uh, That's something that uh, God laid out uh, in his sovereign plan, and I don't understand all of that. And all I can say to you is this, that um, one, you can be healed of that, and of those memories, and those things don't need to continue to uh, inform who you are today. You can be healed of that at the cross of Christ. And then secondly, you can make a decision today, if you haven't already, that love will dominate your home from this day forward. I mean, that's the hope that God holds out to us every single day as we open his word today. Despite what happened yesterday, today I can live for Jesus Christ. Amen? Today I can. And every day forward, I'll face the same choice. Today I can live for Jesus Christ. Today my home will serve the Lord. Even if it wasn't true in the past, I'm making a new decision and charting a new course. And we're confronted with that again today as we get God's word open. And will it be for our families? It's a family thing. Priority number seven, to love always. And you can choose that for you, for your marriage, for your family today. And so are you committed to loving always? And we're gonna look at a few different Proverbs today and among them, this one, I love this, from Proverbs 8, 17. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. So it probably would be a really great idea to diligently seek the Lord right now, don't you think? And just to pray to him and ask him to bless uh, this time that we have together. So let's pray. Uh, God and Father, you um, are love. Your word tells us that you are love. God is love. And God, we need to know you. If we are to know love in our own lives and in the life of our spouses, of our children, in our homes. So God, help us to know you, to love you, to love others. Help us in our weakness uh, to make priorities and to live by these priorities. God, so that we will build families that are living by the wisdom of your word and receiving the blessing that comes from knowing you in this way. God, I would pray from the depth of my soul, God, I would pray that our homes would know the love of God, that our marriages would know the love of Jesus Christ, that what we have here as a church, as individuals, and as families would be extraordinary, God, would be emanating the glory of Jesus Christ. God, help us in our weakness to hear your word today. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Yeah. All right, it's a family a thing to love always. Um, we're gonna look at four things here. A family thing to love always uh, first by seeking God for relationship. Now, I hope you're, you're hearing that when seeking God for relationship. It seems like we talk about that every single week and I hope you're not dismissing that as something that we don't really need to say but to reinforce again it's so important to reinforce again how much we need this relationship with our god we love first john 4:19 says this i love this verse we love why because he first loved us Because God poured something out into our lives, because God had as his intention and his purpose to have a relationship with us, not merely a ritualistic, a religion. This is not about observance, it's about relationship with him and intimacy. And our capacity to love in our marriages, our capacity to love our children, our capacity to love and honor our parents, all of that is rooted first in the love of God. I've already read uh, this key verse, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently uh, find me. And when you look at the proverb there, you understand from the context that it's actually wisdom that's speaking. It's not precisely God, it's wisdom. Wisdom is personified uh, quite often through the Proverbs. And in this context, it's personified. Wisdom says, I love those who love me. I, wisdom, love those who love wisdom. Those who seek me, wisdom, uh, diligently find me. And so we could look at it simply from an academic point of view and say, well, this is just a searching out of knowledge of wisdom. Wisdom, of course, is much deeper than that. The beginning of fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this whole reverencing of God, the worshiping of God, the having relationship with God, that's the beginning of gaining the wisdom. When we get the wisdom, what we really understand about it is that the wisdom is God. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way. What's the second one? The truth and the life. He embodies the truth. The truth emanates from him. There there is no truth that doesn't come from God. And so when we read this, we can rightly read it as being the Lord himself. I, the Lord, love those who love me and those who seek me, the Lord, diligently find me. We love him. He loves us. We seek Him and we find Him because He's already on a search for us, drawing us to Himself. And all of this speaks to the relationship that God wants to have with us. So many still struggle with this idea of what God wants. He wants us. This is the way God established it from the very beginning. You read the early pages of Genesis before sin came in and spoiled the whole thing. God walked in the garden with his creation. It was a face-to-face personal relationship with Adam and Eve. The whole thing was spoiled. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, to violate the moral code God had set up in the violation of the moral code, they descended into a sinful nature. And the separation now came between them and God, a separation that you and I have had to deal with. The relationship with God severed by our sin. But from the beginning, that was not God's intention. His intention was to remain in that perfect state with us in perfect fellowship and relationship with him. And we try all our own ways to try and get into this place where we feel comfortable with God. And and, and among the many ways that people try to get close to God is through religion. And I want to speak to all of this because sometimes families uh, can struggle in different ways. But one way that kind of masks an emptiness. But it looks very religious. is through the family altar and family rituals and family routines. In other words, I would just say it this way. It's possible for you to dress your whole family up every Sunday and bring them to church. It's possible for you to have a really stringent lifestyle of reading the word of God at the table. It's possible to observe all of the right living things that you should be living. It's possible to pray before every meal and at your bedtime and still miss the point of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's possible to lock down all of the rituals, all of the traditions. And to have children grow up in a home where they never, ever have an actual relationship with Christ. It's tragic. It happens so often. Because somehow we missed the heart of what God was really going for. That we need to have an actual relationship with him. And it's in this relationship that we find our identity. So that's why if we're not finding our identity, our identity in the relationship with Christ and we struggle with identity issues and in a family, this can be very idolatrous. It can really get us off the right track. You have kids growing up who don't have an identity of their own, who have a crisis through their teen years, start to waver, don't want to come to church. By the time they reach their high school, later high school and college years, they've checked out completely and are gone because their identity was rooted in something other than Christ. You have, uh, you have husbands who, who root their identity in, in, in what they do rather than in who they are before the Lord. You have mothers who do the same in the context of the family. This can be so devastating. But a mother who finds all of her identity in her children... And the news flashes, you've heard me say this before, the newsflash to all the moms in the room is this, they're going to grow up and they're going to leave home. And if your identity is rooted in your children, you're in trouble. Raise the red flag, sound the alarm. If you have young children now, let me tell you, as a 49-year-old with kids who are 16 and up, it goes by like this. Your identities in your children, when that empty nest comes, that's a crisis point for a marriage. we've got to get our identities straight. What happens in, in marriage when I mean we all make the pledge, right? Our vows are to, until when? Yeah. until death do us part, because the reality is unless Jesus comes back, all of us are going to be at that point at some point where death does uh, get in between us. We're all going to die. And unless you go together, someone's going to be left behind. And if your identity is in your spouse, I'm a husband, I'm a wife. That's my identity. That's a problem. Our identity needs to be in Christ. Family is such a gift. It's such a wonderful thing that God's given to us. Children are amazing, a heritage from the Lord. The marriage union itself is depicted as oneness and is a a very picture of Christ in the church. It's amazing. Hear me say it. It's a blessing from God on this side of eternity. I mean, we all realize that, right? That we we often you hear people say this, and maybe maybe somebody in this room has said this. I don't know, but you know, I can't wait. Uh, when I die, I'm going, to see, I'm going to see my husband or wife again. I'm going to see my family again. I can't wait to spend eternity with my family. That's not going to be the thing. You've read Mark's gospel, right? You've read it? Jesus has this whole discussion. Question comes to him. Who's going to be married? Blah, blah, blah. They're trying to trip him up on a matter of doctrine. He says, very matter of fact, he just says, uh, no marriage in heaven. Mark 12. No marriage in heaven. That's not the way it's going to be. We somehow think that the the relationships we have here are going to be the key thing in eternity. I'm telling you, you know what the key thing in eternity is? Jesus Christ is the key thing. He's the focal point. The glory of God emanates from the throne of God. It's not that we're not going to have time for each other, and I think we're going to have amazing fellowship through all of eternity with, like, everybody and I, I don't want to diss anybody in the room, and I love hanging out with all of you, and I love my wife, and I love my kids, but I'm looking forward to sitting down with some people that I haven't gotten to spend some time with yet. I want to hang out with David and Moses. I want to find out what went down in those years. I, I want to talk about their walk with Christ. I realize we got all of eternity, so we're going to get time to spend with everybody. But listen. It's not like you and your wife are going to you know, get your kids together and that's your mansion in glory forever and ever. Some of you are actually grateful for that. I understand. <laughs> Our identity is not in that. It's not in the human relationships. In Christ, in Christ, I am who I am. I'm a son or daughter of the king. Amen? That's who I am. And so we need to seek God for relationship. And if you don't have that relationship with him, you need to get that settled today. Your relationship with God is severed by sin, by your own personal sin. You should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You should believe in his sacrificial substitutionary death for you. He gave his life in your place. He paid the penalty of those sins to bridge the gap so you can be in relationship with him. And if you want your family sorted out, get that sorted out first. The solution for every family issue is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's get that done. I feel like that's a whole sermon all in itself, right? Well, I got three more sermons to go then, all right? You ready to go for number two? I didn't get an answer. That was awful. Really? You want me just to close in prayer? Okay, number two. I wasn't going to anyway, but uh, number two, secondly, as we seek God, gain this deeper intimacy with Him in our families we still run into the challenge. So we got the whole kind of vertical thing locked down and we love the Lord and we got our identity in him and we're sorting some things out. The problem though is that we still live in close relationship with people who are deeply flawed. Occasional chuckles, a little amen over here, right? We're talking about your family, deeply flawed people. It starts with you, of course. You're deeply flawed, I'm deeply flawed. I wouldn't say it on Cheryl's birthday, but she's deeply flawed. Oh, I just said it on your birthday. Sorry. (laughs) My kids are deeply flawed. We all are. We're all carnal at times. We all say things we shouldn't say. We all struggle with uh, kind of the relationships and rubbing shoulders with each other. And there's always tensions in the home. That's my home. Your home too. Just raise your hand if that's your home too. How many naive people didn't raise their hand? Right? Right? We live with deeply flawed people. And so to love always, we have to be overcoming the inevitable hurts that are going to happen in our homes. Loving always means overcoming the hurts. Don't miss the word inevitable. They are going to happen. I mean, I think about the young couples and we take them through premarital counseling and meet with them before the wedding and. And uh, we try to take them through a little project called the Great Expectations Project. And one of the greatest expectations they could possibly have is that not everything's going to work out perfectly. There's going to be struggles in the home and and there's going to be times when he disappoints her and she disappoints him and they hurt each other and say things they ought not to say and do things that get everybody upset. We understand that parents are going to do things to hurt their kids. That's just going to happen kids are going to do and say things that hurt their parents i don't even need to talk about brothers and sisters that's kind of a given right they just hurt each other loss of hurt going around it's it's inevitable and we need to overcome it so how do we overcome the hurts that happen well the answer is it's very simple it's what we're talking about here it's love love overcomes the hurts look at a Proverbs ten twelve. Check this out. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Tell me some words that you would like to underline in that little verse right there. What would you like to underline or circle? All. <laughs> exactly. Love covers all offenses. Now, here's the thing. I just feel like I've been... Uh, beating this drum uh, repeatedly over the last weeks, couple of months, uh, this matter of forgiveness, and we 're back at it again we 're talking about now the rationale why we would actually forgive our spouse, why we should would actually forgive our parents or forgive our children. The rationale is love, and I feel like we keep circling back to this forgiveness thing over the last several weeks and months because because I feel like perhaps there are some people who are not yet getting it. And that God has us back in this place again so that we would hear one more time the truth of his word. We would have one more opportunity to repent of our unforgiveness. The stakes are high. The standard by which God forgives us is the standard by which we forgive others. So this is important. We're listening up. We need to hear what God says about this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. All offenses. See, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, his love that took him there, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His son went to the cross willingly and on the cross he paid for. Well, what does the song say? Jesus paid it. He paid it all. And all to him I owe. He paid it all. He covered all of our offenses by his love. And so the basis for forgiveness from Christ to us is his love. The basis for forgiveness in our homes, in our marriages is love. Not the feeling love. You say, I don't feel like I'm in love with this person anymore. How often in the past 12 years have I cared very much about your feelings? (laughs) Not often. I'm going to take by your laughter. You mean not often. It's not about feelings. I do care how you feel but it can't be the basis for decisions. And so when we talk about love being the basis for forgiveness, we're not talking about feeling love because feeling love comes and goes. I get it. You may not feel that you love someone, but you did one day if you're married, stand before a preacher and you pledged your love. Uh, So we're not talking about a feeling love, but a deciding love. It's a deciding love that chooses to forgive a people and to cover all offenses, as Proverbs says here. But we live in a society that instead of forgiving, instead of knuckling under, instead of remaining in place and figuring it out and being true to our marriage covenant, instead of that, uh, we live in a culture that's a throwaway culture. We live in a culture that's about, well, I'm just going to start over again. I'll just quit this thing and move on. That's the culture we live in. We feel like we can just move on and and bolt for the door. If the first marriage doesn't work, I'll take another run at it. What God has joined together, let not men separate. That's what we say at the wedding. And so we, we have this challenge as the followers of Christ. Are we going to be absolutely true to what we pledge, to what the Word of God says about marriage? Are we going to remain under and remain faithful and cover all offenses by the love that we decided we had? We can't simply shut down, quit, and run off, expecting to find peace somewhere else. The joy comes, this is what we find in the book of James, the joy comes as we endure the trial. It doesn't, the math on that doesn't seem to work for us, but that's the math. The joy comes as we endure the trial and get to the other side of that. I've endured a few trials. I never like them when I'm going through them. You? No. No. But on the other side of the trial, you get there and go, Oh my goodness, I'm so further along with the Lord. We made it through this. God blessed us and rewarded us. It's remarkable. Look what God did here. We didn't quit, we didn't run, we stayed in, we stayed under. And God brought us joy. It's perseverance that's rewarded, not quitting. And in order to stay in, in order to be faithful to your marriage, in order to be faithful to your family, because we're all deeply flawed, there needs to be this abundance of love and grace. There needs to be a covering of all offenses. If we're truly to live for Christ, we really, honestly, from the word, we have no other option. I quoted this already in the series, but it bears repeating again because it's just captures what we're talking about here. And Pastor James McDonald is often saying there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There just aren't. If you want your marriage to be an enduring relationship, forgive. Cover the offense according to the love that God has poured out into your life. All right? All right, now we come to the heavy one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Love always means bringing each other to maturity. Bringing each other to maturity. Now, to get to maturity requires discipline. Now, the thing with discipline is this, that we hear that word, and for us, automatically, the word is a negative. True? We hear the negative side of that. We don't like the idea of having to be disciplined uh, for something that we have done wrong. God, on the other hand, sees discipline as a positive. Uh, Sometimes discipline comes our way because we have done something wrong and we need to be corrected for that. And sometimes discipline is just in the regular course of life, God shaping us and molding us and bringing us to a better place. Discipline has both of those facets to it. But we need to talk about that kind of negative, corrective discipline that comes our way at times and see that as the positive that God wants it to be in our lives. We need it to be brought to maturity. Now, understand that some of you are going to discount this right away because you like being immature. Because, Because discipline sounds like hard work. And you're not up for the challenge. You don't want to be brought to a, a greater place of, of maturity or knowledge of Christ and intimacy with Him because you know God might require more of you. And you're kind of content where you are right now. You're, you're the person who takes the talent that was given to Him by the Master. you just buried in the ground. I don't want that to earn any interest. I, I don't want to take it and multiply it. I don't want to do anything with what God has given to me. I'm just happy with the status quo. Just let me be. Uh, que sera, sera. It's just what my life is. And um, It's a sad place to be. Because God has a desire to bring us to a place of maturity as children. Not to have our growth stunted. And so we have this need for discipline. It's a negative consequence of not getting it right and receiving from the Lord the correction that he wants to bring. None of us ever get it right all of the time. None of us is perfect. And so all of us should be receiving corrective discipline from the Lord in our lives, hearing the things that we need to hear from him. And if we don't, The challenge is that we just don't take ourselves down if we don't receive this discipline from the Lord, if we don't achieve or work towards maturity, but we take down the people that are around us, close to us as well. If you're a man in this room, if you're a husband and a father, and you've decided that spiritual growth is not for you, and you're not particularly interested in maturity and, and being corrected by the Lord, and you've just your feet are kind of set in stone right where you are, then just understand that's not just a decision for you, but you're taking your wife down with you, you're taking your children down with you. And, and as a father and as a husband, you bear responsibility for that. Even if you're a, a, a child in the home, And I would be talking to kids in this room, primarily who are already in junior and senior high. And if you've made a decision to just kind of stay right where you are and stopped uh, on the tracks, and I'm not planning on progressing anymore, and I'm just kind of happy the way things are right now, and I don't want to know God any better, you think I'm just a kid in this home, and I don't influence this home, and you would be wrong. That's a drag on your mom and dad. That's a drag on your siblings if that's the decision that you've made that you just don't want to grow anymore. Just understand that the family is bound together. And any decisions you make as an individual, no matter what your place is in the family, those decisions are affecting everyone else for good and for ill. And so we need this maturity. We need of this discipline in our lives, we need to be bringing each other to maturity. Now check this out. Um, 13.24. Are you there already? You guys are way ahead of me. No flipping of pages. You're already there. Love that. Proverbs 13.24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's a pretty familiar verse, right? Child rearing. If you've done any parenting courses, you've probably heard this verse before. The context here is parent-child discipline. But we have to always understand that in the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of general wisdom here. And there's more here at stake than just the parent-child relationship. There are some principles here that apply to all matters of discipline. That's the wisdom that we would want to hear about how God even disciplines us as his children. And so I want to talk about discipline and correction for a few minutes here. And I want to talk about it in those two spheres of our lives in the church, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ seeking to correct and bring each other to maturity. And then in the home, because this is a family series, parent child discipline and how that needs to look. So first in the church, and uh, I'm so grateful that we've been able to start this biblical soul care ministry because that really is giving shape to how we help one another become mature disciples of Christ. It's helping us advocate for one another and to, uh, to encourage one another, to build one another up, giving shape to becoming gr- a stronger, more devoted, passionate Christ followers, knowing that we really cannot do this on our own. And I very often, as an individual, I have blind spots in my life. I can't even see the things in my life at times that need to be changed. Do we recognize that? As some of us are very not self-aware and so I need people who are close to me who are going to be able to point out things and say, hey, Todd, that was a really jerk moment that you just had right there. And, and you need to, you know, and helping to correct me and bring me to maturity because I might not see it. I love this phrase and Pastor Roger who prayed uh, here a few minutes ago is our pastor of biblical soul care and he's leading the charge for us and implementing that that, uh, ministry here and at uh, Harvest York region and we're so blessed by that but he's got this phrase that he started using that I just love and it's just we're better together we're better together God designed us to be better together in the church. That's why we have small groups. That's why we encourage accountability one-on-one. Men with men, women with women. Why we're praying together. Why we're searching the scriptures together. Why we're doing life together. It's because on our own, I mean, that could be a good thing, but we're better together. We need that. So that we're disciplining, correcting, bringing each other to maturity in Jesus Christ. And that should certainly be true in our church. It should be true in your small group. You're better together than alone. You can see the application into your marriage. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, after God had created Adam, and he kind of looked around in a perfect fellowship between man and God, and then he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper that's fit for him. God is essentially saying, better together. Adam and Eve are going to be better together than they are separated from each other. And so we need each other. The early church, Acts chapter 2, they met in the temple together. Then they met from house to house. They had that corporate worship gathering, just like we do on Sundays. And then they met from house to house. This is all in Acts chapter 2, just like our small groups. And they shared meals together, and they prayed together, and there was a sense of awe over all the people. What Acts 2 is telling us in the latter part of that chapter is, they're better together. We need each other to bring one another to... Maturity in Christ. This isn't just to overcome loneliness and improve our economic standing. This is about encouraging one another toward maturity. I'm mandated in the scriptures to help my wife be a more mature follower of Jesus Christ. I'm mandated in the scriptures to help my children know Jesus Christ and be mature in him. My wife should be encouraging me in the same thing. My children should be encouraging me and Cheryl in our walk with Christ. We're better together when we're helping one another become mature followers of Jesus Christ. All right, back to the verse. That's kind of the general sense of the wisdom of this. Discipline in a general sense, helping all of us come to maturity in Christ. Now the second aspect of this and the more specific application of this verse is in parenting. Now, I'll read the verse again. You want to hear it? Notice what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Spare the rod... Applying the rod and discipline are synonymous in the, pack, in the passage, in the verse. You always have these parallelisms in Proverbs. One word defines the other. And so discipline here is described in terms of corporal punishment. But I wouldn't want to dive too deeply into that, that we see that as the only means of corrective uh, of discipline. Because there's all kinds of means of corrective discipline. But certainly here, corporal punishment is mentioned. And so we want to see how discipline really plays out in our homes. Parents need to hear this. Because I believe we're way off track in our society today with regard to parenting and discipline. And so I'm going to give you here three trends in contemporary discipline that should be of great concern to Christian parents. Because they demonstrate, and this is the theme of our message, We're trying to go after love always in our homes. And these actually demonstrate a lack of love for our children. Three trends that demonstrate a lack of love for our children. Number one. You ready for these? Some of you may not like me after this. I'm okay with that. Number one. Positive reinforcement run amok. Positive reinforcement run amok. Now positive reinforcement is good. We ought to be affirming and blessing people. I'll say that right up front. We ought to be uh, looking at the, uh, the great things that people are doing and what they're becoming and affirm those things. I get that. But we have a serious issue here as parents because under the weight of a society that has rejected, it seems, all forms of discipline that actually work We've raised up a generation that is, and and some of these thoughts were shaped. We had a meeting this week with Pastor Kerry Newhoff over at Conexus, and he really helped to kind of shape some thinking around this. But we have uh, this generation that's arrogant, children raising up, er, they're arrogant and pride-filled, like they're all that, but completely lacking any actual confidence because we completely destroyed the standard of what it means to be a winner and a loser. We've affirmed everybody. Everyone gets a ribbon. We, 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 everybody wins. Hooray for everybody! We we go to uh, ball games and no one's keeping score anymore. Who won? It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It does matter who won. It does matter who lost. There's not going to be any improvement if there's no standard by which kids are being measured. It's it's craziness. Kids have no sense of what it means to work hard and actually achieve something of value. The craziness of this teacher in Edmonton who got suspended and fired because he failed a student who didn't hand in assignments. Because the school board has a policy that no children ever fail. I'm sorry, if you don't do it, you have failed. And if you think you haven't failed in the school system, just wait until you go and work for one of the employers in here. And when you fail on the job, they fire you. That's what happens. You get fired. You don't have a job anymore because you thought everyone gets a ribbon. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to win. I don't have to score goals. Nothing. There's no measure. I just get a paycheck. This is so crazy. Positive reinforcement run amok. And um, we need to do better than this. We need to love them better than this. By telling them there are winners and losers. There's... There's pass and fail. There's a standard to achieve and they should achieve it. I've made a, a no secret of the fact that when I played games with my kids and Luke's over here, Emily's over here and Joel's in Chicago, um, we played games. I, did I ever let you win a game? Never let you win a game. You're going to win a game. You're going to win it on your own merits. And, and now they beat me at things and <laughs> it's great but they know what it means to win. They know what it means to learn something and achieve it, okay? And you don't need any more on that. Got it? Positive reinforcement, run amok. Not everyone gets a ribbon. Number two, correction gone the way of the dodo. Okay, correction gone the way of the dodo. So beyond what we've already talked about, when a child misbehaves, when he does wrong, when he acts out, parents too often, if I had a dollar for every time I saw this happen at Walmart, I'd be a wealthy man. Some child misbehaves, does wrong, acts out in some way, and the parents cajole and cater to them. And how many times have I heard the bribe? If you... Behave right now. If you stop acting like the spoiled brat that you are, this is the part the parent doesn't say, <laughs> I will buy you X, Y, Z. I will give you, we can go, we'll stop on the way home. And they appease their child, they cajole them, they bribe them, they give them their own way. And what's horrific about this is, is the parents are conforming rather than the child conforming. The parents are conforming to the child's standard rather than the child conforming to the parent's standard. I don't think you're loving your kid when you do that. Because you're not. Correction gone the way of the dodo. Corporal punishment of any sort. I'm going to read this so I get it straight. Corporal punishment of any sort is now so frowned upon that those who do by conviction practice spanking in a good way are afraid to speak of it lest a neighbor or friend report them to the authorities. And so we as the followers of Christ who want to obey the word of God and practice corporal punishment in the right way, we're fearful of obeying the Lord in this. Now hear this, and I'm going to read this as well. I am not condoning all forms of corporal punishment and I am certainly not vindicating the religious whack jobs who inflict harm on children in the name of spare the rod, hate the child. I am not saying that. But measured corporal punishment is an effective and biblical means of lovingly helping our children come to maturity in Christ and helping them become functional adults in our society. Okay, I believe that. And I won't go in right now to what I mean by that. But if you want to inquire about that, I'd be happy to teach you further as parents what it means to use biblical, measured corporal discipline in your home. Positive reinforcement run amok. Correction gone the way of the dodo. Number three, inmates running the prison. The notion that we appease our children every time they cry out, that's a problem. Uh, We give when they whine, cry, or take a temper tantrum of any kind. And the children, while beautiful and amazing they are, in so many ways are no less sinful than the adults who are raising them. And parents, just gently nod your heads if you saw your child's sin nature inside of the first year that you were raising them. My mom's nodding. Really, really nodding. She's talking about my brother. Uh, For sure. And so we have this sin nature that's inherent in the children. They're born with it. And honest parents are freely admitting this. And so because they have a sin nature and because they lack an understanding of the word of God, they lack an ability to reason through these things and they're not yet mature, they cannot be allowed to dictate the terms of their upbringing. Children don't have the capacity to decide how they ought to be raised. But so many parents are just so quick to give in that the kids are now setting the standard for what happens in the home. You, parents, you need to decide this. We often told our children that that Cheryl and I were a team, they were the other team, and we always won. (laughs) But we have to set the standard for the home in terms of discipline and what the rules are going to be. There is a standard for child rearing and it is the word of God. And so parents standing on the word of God, that's your basis for having authority in the home and bringing your children to maturity in Jesus Christ. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. That's a standard that needs to be established. And when your children cross the line, they need to be brought to account for that. And there needs to be consistency on the part of the parents. I know you're tired. Moms, I know you're spending all day at home with the kids, and and I know how difficult that can be. I watched my wife raise three children. I came home at the end of the day. I offered every night, honey, do you want me to do the dishes or bath the kids? Which one did she pick every time? Bath the kids. She wanted to be alone with the dishes. (laughs) I know you're tired. I know it's hard. Parenting is probably going to be the hardest thing you ever do in your life. And you have to be consistent with the word of God. Every time. Your kids, listen. They are so wonderful, so wonderful. And they manipulate and exploit every little crack. That they can find in the parenting. They will manipulate and orchestrate and twist and turn and bob and weave to find all the loopholes. We need to be consistent. And we need to dictate the terms of their upbringing according to the word of God and not leave them to figure it out on their own, and not imprinting their standard of what it means to be raised on the family with their limited, immature version of morality. Love always by bring, bringing each other to maturity. Amen? All right. Finally, this. The whole point of godly discipline is that we would love always by together pursuing godly living. This needs to be a mutual goal. So what we see in 15.9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Righteousness is God's love for us, so inherent inside of us that we want to live holy lives for him. And all I really want to say about this, not very long on this point at all, is that I hope you want a home that pursues righteousness and has God's love so saturating the home that it's evident to everybody who comes to your home. It's evident in your children. It's evident in your marriage that the love of God is something that that it's like the glory of God emanating off of your home and you are becoming personally and every member of your family becoming conduits of the love of God to others. You won't be able to contain that in your own home. That's going to flow out to others and you're going to be sought after because of your abundant love for God and the evidence of that. In your family, a family committed to godly living produces a home filled with love. That's the point of this proverb. And so, with all of that said, let's make the pledge today. It's up on the screen. It's a family thing to love always. We're going to personalize that and say this together. It's our family thing to love always. Let's say it again. It's... And this is the end of our series, and we've had seven priorities. And so let's look at these, Uh, one in turn. It's a family thing uh, to worship together. Uh, Secondly, uh, to pledge our loyalty, uh, to forgive freely, to live the truth, to honor one another, to speak well of each other, and to love always. That's what it means to be a family who loves Jesus Christ that's the family thing that I hope you want for your family. Now, we just want to even help you with this in a really practical way. And uh, so on your way out, we're going to give you this. It's a fridge magnet. It's not that size. It's so slightly smaller than that, but it has the seven priorities there. And it has the picture frame. It's a family thing. But you're going to be able to write your name in it, just like we write our name in it. It's a Dugard family thing. And you're going to be able to put your name, not ours, on, on yours. <laughs> I mean, that's nice that you would remember our priorities, but maybe remember your own. Write your own family name in there. You're going to get those on the way out today. But here's what I want, to ask, I want to ask you to do. How many people on Facebook here? Just raise your hand if you have a Facebook account. All right, raise your hand if you're on Twitter. Okay, not as many on Twitter. How many Instagram people? You got Instagram? And how many women on Pinterest? Yeah, okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, pin it, post it you know, put it up, take a picture. Let's do a social media thing. Once you get this on your fridge with your name on it, take a picture of that, post it, and share it on all of your pages. And uh, let's be blessed as a church together. We encourage each other that, hey, we're all committing to this family thing. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. And then the worship team's gonna come and lead us as we close today. Father, thank you uh, for uh, your abundant love. We've talked about that today. And you have poured out Uh, to undeserving people, uh, the abundance of your love toward us, compassion, mercy, grace flowing from all of that, joy, peace coming as a result. God, it's amazing to us when we think about your love. And Father, we want that, not just as individuals, but God, we we want it and we need it as families. We need it in marriages. And I would pray, uh, God, for marriages here that are struggling a little bit, that that today would be a day where they would just mark it and say, uh, today, we want the love of God in our marriage. Today, we're committing to each other in a new and fresh way. God, I pray that that would be true for parents here who need to make decisions about how they're raising their kids. And children here, uh, young people, need to be making decisions about how they honor their parents and allow love to flow through them into their home. And so, God, hear all of these prayers and all of these commitments that are being made. And all of this, God, is for your glory and your renown in your church. God, thank you for being here. Thank you for speaking to us. And thank you for hearing this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.